Just press say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. Welcome to the Circle of Dads podcast. I'm here with Corey Proctor. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today, sir. Yeah. Uh, it's excited. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's we, talk about dad. Let's talk about dad. <laughs> um, so we've already almost had a full podcast. <laughs> just shooting the breeze over the table. So let's just get into it. And uh, So who are you, man? Corey Proctor. Uh, my background, I grew up, uh, kind of the big thing that people notice about me is I played in the NFL for six years, uh, offensive lineman for most of my career was here with the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. And then a short stint, my rookie year on the practice squad in Detroit, came here to Dallas with Bill Parcells, hall of fame coach and Wade Phillips, who are amazing people. And then uh, went to Miami in 2010 with the dolphins. And that's where it ended in a giant blaze of glory <laughs> in a sense there's no reason to exit quietly <laughs> no yeah that's well that's where I, I ruptured my patella tendon and went into a whole lot of surgeries but that's what i'm most known for to everybody right now is being a, a professional football player and that's great and it lends a whole lot of opportunity to my future but um that was a chapter of my life mm-hmm. and uh, was was kind of cool to see now looking back to see how that affected and how uh, why i needed some transition out of that yeah um, but started, grew up in Washington State, Seattle area. Um, love both my folks are amazing. My mom and dad. Um, we had a hard time going through their split, mm-hmm. and uh, was about nine, ten years old for me. And we moved around. I was middle of three boys, and uh, went to myself. We all moved around a lot, but went to seven different schools in a three to four year time period. Yeah. And so a lot of moving around, a lot of tough stuff, but they both end up uh, remarrying and love my stepdad, love my stepmom. They're amazing and have been a big part of my life for sure. But uh, ended up going to school to college at the University of Montana in Missoula. Let's go Grizz, baby. But uh, did that and then ended up coming into the league and had some crazy big transitions myself in there and some culture shocks and some stuff that I wasn't used to in the Northwest coming down. To, we're going to Detroit first and then coming down south and some stuff I loved and some stuff I had to adjust to. But um, ended up, after I was done playing, working for a beverage company called Killcliffe. And they're out of Atlanta, Georgia, and they're in a whole bunch of gyms right now. But I still remember when I got the interview for the job, Todd Ehrlich, who's the founder of the company, a former Navy SEAL, and... Uh, somebody I I could resonate with. And after I was done, I had this whole identity, like trying to figure out who I am, what I am I now, because football was me. Mm -hmm. And people were like, you like to shoot the breeze, try sales. (laughs) So I, I found Kill Cliff on LinkedIn of all places and shot him a message. This is who I am. This is never had a job outside of football, but would you mind if I tried your stuff? They sent me a whole bunch of stuff. Everybody liked it. So I got an interview with Todd Ehrlich. We met at Spring Creek Barbecue over here at DFW by the airport. Yeah. And 
I always laugh at it because I came in fully dressed. My wife, Megan, she was like, you cannot go in jeans and boots like I would normally want to go. Sure. <laughs> she made me go in full suit. So I show up to this barbecue place in full suit. And he had just finished with another interview. And, uh, and he spent the next 30 plus minutes raving about this army guy that he had just interviewed for the Texas job that he wanted to hire somebody for. And it he just, it was awesome. So like they had this military click right away and I'm sitting there just nodding. That's cool, man. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets at the end of it and he just, and he was like, he just kind of was like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, it sounds like he's your guy, to be honest. <laughs> I go, no, if that's your gut, you should go with him. Um, and I know, uh, I know this. This would be my first job outside of football, and they wanted like I think like four or five years of sales experience before going into this, which I didn't really care about any prerequisites. Sure. But uh, I said, uh, I know for one thing, I don't know how it'll turn out, but I know for one thing, I'll bust my ass for you. You can count on that. And so he ended up giving me the job, and three months later, I'm the number one sales guy in the company, and. Uh, and, I, and it was funny because I, 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 and I stayed there for four years. So I moved into a management role, managed a sales team, moved into this business development role when we've had our own rocks with the company and in this national role where I was bringing some big dogs to the table, like Gold's Gym and, and uh, some big office coffee services and just had a, a lot of good success. And it's funny because everybody, when I share that, a lot of people actually ask, they're like, how did you do so well? How did you transition so easy? I'm like, well, one, it's not easy. Right. But two... I was in the salesman role, but I so wanted to be anything but a salesman that I went opposite when I would walk in. And that's funny because that kind of comes into how we met each other. Yeah. And so I was going through our system with Killclip and uh, found Ryan's, found your name in the system. So I'm going through past customers, essentially, making contacts. And so I come out to your place. You had tier one. Um, equipment equipment yeah. at the time and i come out we meet and it was funny because a lot of these conversations how they started off were either there was some sort of damage in the relationship with the company or i didn't care about it or i don't i don't carry that crap <laughs> it was something something real like black and white sure and i'm fine with it so i'm like so i'd walk in i'm like all right what do you do and i didn't i didn't want to have that buy my stuff mentality like that's yes that's a goal of mine and i would love that but i didn't have that mentality where i come in i'm like hey ryan you got to carry my stuff why don't you carry my stuff and it was more like let me figure out who you are and if that's something that i could work in the conversation cool but if not it's not the end of the world because there's lots of people out there and uh for sales opportunities anyway but i ended up making some amazing relationships in the company because of that approach. And I didn't realize I was doing it at first. Well, and the whole point of sales is to be of service. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, uh, just assume that it's, that it's to make money and to, to generate that, that exchange of commerce. But I mean, it's to be of service to your client. So if you go in there with, you know, a heart of service and just trying to, just trying to make that relationship and that connection, then, I mean, you really couldn't go wrong. And I mean, you don't exactly just, appear in a room i mean you're not the type of guy that just kind of drifts in like oh shit Corey's here oh Corey's here you know you know by the time you hit the door yeah and i remember that about you i mean you just had a certain confidence about you that wasn't arrogant that wasn't you know uh 
obnoxious. Which, which, well, we, we appreciate it. Well, hey, no problem. Yeah. And so, I mean, with, with sales guys, I mean, it's just, especially owning a business. And at that time with tier one, I mean, I was, um, my ultimate goal was don't go bankrupt. Right. I mean, you know, so if you're sitting there just trying to figure out how the hell you're going to make it happen and some dude walks in and he's like trying to throw this pitch on you, it's like, man, get the hell out of here. You just email me or something, you know? Right. And so like, but when you came in, it was like, oh, I'll talk to this guy for sure. Yeah. So, all right on. It was cool. So you're uh, no longer with Killcliff. No longer with Killcliff. Um, so we actually just we ended our our uh, professional relationship. Um, I'm actually on board as just an ambassador right now. So I'm still a big fan of the company. I love Todd Ehrlich. I love uh, uh, Joe Driscoll, who's the current CEO over there, and I love the people who have come through there. So now I love their mission. So they're they try they're um, the only official excuse me, the uh, for-profit official partner of the Navy SEAL Foundation. Which they donate a lot of money to. Yeah, they do a bunch for that. So that's, Todd Ehrlich's, uh, the founder, his original goal was like, I want to make uh, a product and blow a company as big as possible uh, and give it, I want to be able to write a million dollar check to. To be of service to a foundation that he believes in. Yeah. I mean, that's that's powerful stuff. Yeah. He, he I mean, they deserve any success they have. Right. And that's awesome. So I love that. That yeah. was something I could get behind. And then, uh, and then the stuff was just good. You know, the drinks were good and people liked it. And so, uh, you know, in general, it sold really well. And we've kind of gone through our, our own um, ups and downs where we shot ourselves in the foot and, and had some, you know, self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> but, uh, but they're getting over it and they're, and they're doing some good things right now. But, I, you know, I, I never like to um, leave a relationship and send it some instead of if someone's just being a complete douchebag to me or someone just being an outright jerk, I'm not going to cut a relationship off. And, um, you know, unless, cause I don't, there's never in my mind that you're trying to screw me. Right? There's always, and I guess that's actually something that came from sales. And a really a big part from my faith was that we're uh, and my psychological background. So I majored in psychology and it was, it was interesting to see all the parallels um, social psych is one of my favorites. It's basically how we act and why we interact with each other and why we, or how we interact with each other and why we do that. And um, some simple things, like if I trip on a rock when I'm walking down the sidewalk, I attribute it to the rock. I just tripped on that. But if I see you across the way trip on a rock, I attribute it to you and your clumsiness. Right. And that's... This sounds perfectly logical. <laughs> Look at that dumbass. <laughs> well, it's... But that's how we our natural kind of progression of thinking goes is like, it's, it's always in our benefit. There's a reason why for us. Um, but there's your reason is on you. So like you're the clumsy one and that it's not necessarily the rock that it's attributed. So yeah, I could take a lot of those parallels that I saw in psychology and learn, see a lot in sales and realize that your perspective is not to screw me over. It's to take care of your company make sure it's viable and yeah. do what's best for you. Right. And to take care of your family. So you're, you're being a protector and a defender in your own right. And so if I can keep that mindset, knowing that, then I can have a real talk with you. So it's never this, you're trying to screw me over. You're trying to chew me out of this deal. And I probably shouldn't use that term. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, you're trying to screw me out of this deal or whatever that I think I'm justified in getting. And in, instead, I'm, I'm uh, causing 
further anguish in the situation. So I'm like, I'm attacking you in that moment. Now you're getting worked up. You're like, hold on, buddy. You know, sit down for a second. And I'm just stirring the flame. I'm stirring the pot even more. Because we're always, you know, with that, you're just, I'm not going to get what I want. I'm not going to get my way. I'm scared somebody's going to take something from me. You know, I mean, it's always I, 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 I. So that ego is a, is a powerful driver. And also like not seeing your own, your own part in actions, having that inventory, like you, like you, uh, that analogy with the rock. Mm. If it's somebody else, it's clear to see. He just tripped, you know, he wasn't looking where he was going. Yeah. But if I trip over the rock, oh, it ain't my fault. Right. You know, <laughs> and I think that there's a huge gap now. I well, I don't want to say huge gap. I rarely see men that take the time to uh, take that personal inventory. Like, where was I wrong? Yep. What was my part in that? Because we have a part in everything. Now, whether it's just sitting there as a pacifist, like letting life happen to you instead of like happening to life or, you know, you plowing your way through, we all have a part. And I think it's our job to see what our part is. And that helps you navigate through the waters of life with a little smoother stroke, so to speak. Totally. That's, so I love the leadership mentality, right? Yeah. And this is like John Maxwell, love that guy, and a, and a bunch of different people I follow. But if you realize that you have an influence in every situation somehow, you will try to tailor your thinking towards that. Mm-hmm. So you're like, all right, if we know, if you stormed out of this room, ticked off all day at me, and or at each other and we didn't get our end goal done and recording this podcast and having a good conversation at the end of the day i I remember i'm like okay i have an influence in this situation if i can remember that i can sit here and reflect back like all right what what did i do to tick this guy off like what incited that what was my part in that and i didn't see that a lot i mean i had what's so cool about that is is kind of during this my own uh maturity taken place. Uh, when I ended with the Miami Dolphins in 2010, I was starting at center. I was replacing uh, Joe Berger, who got hurt that um, the game before in Tennessee, and we're playing Chicago on a Thursday night game, so it was a short week. But I did not get along with my O-line coach. And uh, his name was Dave DeGugliamos. He was a short, short Italian dude who just screamed all the time. And, uh, and it was funny because we disagreed with butt heads a lot. I didn't do anything to help the situation. Yeah. Nothing. No, I don't, I don't like, we're both not perfect in that, but I did zero to help it. So where he was trying to run the O line group as best as he knew how I was combating that. And so we ended up getting, uh, you know, we had a walkthrough practice that Wednesday before the game. And I remember this, we're, we're running 40 draw, which is basic six box look real easy to run. So it's a you know fake pass handed off to the running back. Tight end takes the first guy in the box, and uh, center goes to the backside. So one of the easiest plays ever. And we we're changing the mic for some reason on this, but I disagreed for the reason. Just because I just disagreed, and so I was supposed to call the will the mic and not the actual mic the mic. So I'm like, all right, because the tight end was going off my mic call, and I made the mic the mic. So the, the tight end goes out to the Sam and we leave an extra guy in the box, which is a numbers problem. So okay. now we have an open guy coming to make a tackle on the back, right? And it happened. And so Coach Gooch comes and screams at me and I'm sitting here. I'm over it at this point. So I kind of start chuckling 
which is not good anyway. <laughs> so right. start laughing when somebody's mad and they get even more mad and a volcano just erupts. And, um, and I ended up rupturing my patella tendon in the game the next night on the second series. But, you know, it was funny because I remember looking back on that now and there was a couple pieces to it, but uh, I ruptured my patella tendon and I was stuck in this carry the world mode. I got to win. I was sucking. I was kind of going downhill. My play wasn't very good. And I was sucking at the time, but I got to, I got to win. I'll take care of this stuff. I disagree. If I disagree, I'll take control and I'll do this. And it was not this work together attitude. So it was really bad. It was, and I didn't think I was selfish. That was my thinking was nobody thinks they're out of justified. Right. Yeah. Sure. Totally thought I was justified. So I was walking through this, get hurt. And now I can reflect back and see one, I was in this bad place. Um, and I did zero to help the situation. So Googe, if you're listening, like you you're probably nodding your head, like, yeah, you're an idiot prop for, <laughs> for acting like that. Um, but I'd never helped the situation when I could have made it way better. And then two, the biggest por- portion of that for me was I was engaged to my wife at the time. Yeah. And I would come home every day and just sit in the dark trying to cool off because I hated the Miami heat. But uh, I think God then axed my knee to say, hey, I'm trying to make you into a husband. And I'm not trying to make you a football player right now. This husband role is way more important than this football role. And so that's kind of like the beginning of where our marriage really started taking off. A relationship really started taking more flight because now we had to be forced to be together at all times. And she had to take care of me. So I had to lean on her. And it was so I had to relinquish that control and it was a tough thing. But getting back to the original point, I apologize. I can rain on forever. I know. Amen. <laughs> But, uh, but if you realize that you have influence in every room at any point, now you could have, it's the worst thing is to have zero influence. That means you just might as well not be in the room. Standing in the shadows. Right. Yeah. And uh, that passive nature. But you realize that you have an influence just by being present in a room. Your, in, your input is affecting it somehow. Mm-hmm. Is that good or bad? I mean, it's, it's a choice. You. Yeah, for right. sure. And in that moment, that's why, that's why I bring up the Miami incident. But I, I look back on that and I can see the way I was leading in that moment was not good because it was totally inward. And I was what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to control. I'm the boss, whatever mindset and ended in a destructive place. So it wasn't, wasn't good at all. So anybody, you know, in that similar place, they need to, they need to realize it. I'm like, all right, if I can lead, if I have influence, if I'm pushing, it's not my directive to get what I want, but I have an influence in this. Let's make this a good one. Yeah, and if you choose otherwise, <clears throat> so if you do know that you have an influence, but you still choose to serve yourself, then your ego's taking over. That yeah. self-centeredness is taking over, which we all have self-centeredness. There's nothing wrong with that. It's part of survival. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to be self-centered somewhat to be able to get through the day. Don't step off the curb. You don't want to get hit by the car. Not, you know choose yourself over everyone else and not having that team mentality anymore. You know, so like if you're, whether you're on a football team or if you, you have your family, that's your team. That's, I mean, you have to look out for them. You have to do what's best for them because if you don't, you could serve yourself, but it's not going to last very long. And that's what happened. And I, that's why I think God was like, you're you're too much about you right now. Done hot shot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's change the script. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what happened. And thank goodness he did, though, because it got my attention. And I could, now I could fully see my wife mm-hmm. when we were getting married. And it was, that's been amazing. 
because she's she challenges me. She's a rock to me. So I can be even more so. So it's, that's what that's what I love. Actually, a lot of my talks. So what's going on now these days is um, after Kill Cliff, I've got into a lot of speaking engagements and people have asked me. I mean, it's motivational. It's team building. It's uh, competition in the workplace, psychology of sales. It's a lot of different things that have kind of followed. It's faith. Um, I, did, I shared um, the Father's Day message at Browncroft Community Church just a, a few weeks ago in Rochester, New York, and that was amazing. So it, it was just cool because in that one I talked about gridiron to glory, uh, your true identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so faith has been a huge thing to me to, to kind of bring a lot more humility and understanding that perspective of uh, serving others. And and that's been a big deal. So anyways, I, I you know, come into these speaking roles, but that's... Uh, something I talk about is here's what it is is the challenge, okay, um, and what your wife or your spouse is to you. So, what's cool is I kind of kind of segue into where we were talking about before the podcast started was um, there's a big skew in what a man's supposed to be these days, what a dad or what a uh, a father or a husband is supposed to be these days, and it's either kind of the picture or the at least the uh, the thought that I get from the world is it's an extreme one side where I'm this dominating force, man's man kind of place where I got to I got to control my own household and what's going on. And, uh, you know, which which the we've seen the bad, bad side of masculinity yeah. in that role. Um, and that's led to some, you know, some shootings and some different crazy things that have gone on trying to control their surroundings and then the opposite is the passivity of a guy and uh, we're they're not taking the role they're supposed to in in some sort of relationship but uh, but one thing i talk about is is understanding that your wife in that marital relationship your wife is supposed to challenge the husband so guys that might have a, a strong wife that is pushing them on something there's a reason for it not to say she's right in everything she's saying, but there's a reason for it. And I'll give you, the, the story that I think about a lot is um, we had some crazy stuff go on in our life. And, uh, and, and one of the kind of the biggest pain moments was when my brother lost his son to cancer. And, uh, and so we fell into this real hate place towards God and, and towards a lot of things, really. And so I'm like, hey, you want to do this? I got this. You know, that's falling back into that control place. And it was funny because we had some friends, Blake Bevan and his wife, Allison, who was, uh, he was a, a pitcher for the Rangers, but he, they were over one Saturday night. And so we're hanging out playing cards or something. And Megan and Allison, our wives are talking on the side and Allison invites Megan and says, Hey, we're going to go to church at 11 AM service at Milestone Church over here. You guys should come. And so I didn't know she had agreed to this. But she closes the door when they leave, and she just looks at me, and she says, um, hey, I'm going to take Grace, our baby girl, and we're going to go to church at 11 a.m. You can come if you want. And then drops the mic and walks away. <laughs> Said her piece and left. <laughs> just, and I'm sitting here. But, but yeah. <laughs> well, hold on. <laughs> we need to talk about this. <laughs> That's what I went. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the man. You know, I'm, This is my household right now. I run this. I'm the leader. And I came into this, and it was funny because after I'm sitting there, all those thoughts flood into my head, and I stop for a second. I'm like, hmm. 
All right, we're going, but I'm taking us. I'm leading us in here. <laughs> we're taking my car. <laughs> my lead, right? Yeah, it was my choice. I'm doing it because I want to go, not because of you. But um, but we go and end up. Um, I get a vision during worship, and it was a it was a picture of my nephew sitting on his lap, and it was just crazy powerful that wrecked me in a moment. And I, I remember I just had this no words, but had an overwhelming feeling feeling of I got him, he's good, and I um I ended up having this radical change where, you know, faith, I, I, I accepted Christ as my savior and then had this crazy change in my life of perspective and service towards others, including my wife and other people around me and, under, and a lot deeper understanding of perspective and so much more kind of like soulful touch in my life. And, but I recall back to that night all the time, two guys and I use that as a as a illustration to say, hey, your wife is supposed to challenge you. And like, if she hadn't dropped the mic and says, I'm going, you can come if you want, how many guys would have not showed up or 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 fought in that moment or with their wife? Talked her out of it. Yeah. And led to a moment that was completely life-changing for me. And it was just funny because if I hadn't stepped up to a challenge that my wife had given me, whether I don't think she even realized she did it. But if I hadn't stepped up in that moment and said, fine, even if I had a bad attitude and, and stepped in there, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have the relationship we have today. We wouldn't pray together. We wouldn't be so locked in to each other to know exactly where I, our identity is and how to raise our daughter. And it's not perfect, but I, I've had some crazy conversations where people disagree with me. And I'm like, hey, that's cool. I understand that and I, I respect that. I go, but there's one thing for sure. They're questioning some different things that we do, but there's one thing for sure. My wife and my daughter are going to know for a fact that I love them. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And that's in everything that I do. That's in the words that I say. That's how I act towards them because they deserve better from me. And, and they don't deserve me to fly off the handle at them for any reason, even if I'm mad at them or upset or annoyed by any stretch. And um, they deserve my fight for them. And that's physically, spiritually, and emotionally too. That's that's not just, and I, and I use this. This picture kind of came into my head so many times. Like easily, we'll fight physically for the people in our life, right? We see the truck coming down the street. Somebody's and one piece of our family or friends are standing in the way. Let's put our wife there, and our wife standing in the in the way. Most guys, within a blink of an eye, would run to tackle her out of the way, get her out of the way of the truck, whatever. But we never stop to think about the spiritual, emotional truck that's rolling through our house, right? And that's those kind of trucks come in very sneaky, and they're and they're very. That's how the enemy uses it. Is that truck might look like you coming home from a hard day's work, ticked off at your boss, that you end up taking out on your wife because the house is a mess, or she hasn't done something, or it's not up to an expectation that you think it should be. Right. And, or it might be um, you holding within your feelings. I had a conversation um, with uh, some folks, uh, some people that are close to me who are going through divorce. And I asked, uh, asked the guy, I'm like, hey, all right, so what's something that ticked you off about her? And this is a classic one these days. He goes, well, I hated how she would be on her phone all night long, working on her job, talking with her friends. He goes, but I'm, you know, what am I going to do? I just got to be a supportive husband. I'm like, well, 
hold on, wait a minute, let's back up for a second. So you got ticked off at her being on her phone all night long, which we're all guilty of this day, right? Yeah. How did you bring that up? He says, what are you talking about? And I go, well, for instance, me, I'm on my phone all the time for my job. Megan constantly has to say, hey, let's put our phone down for the next two hours, next three hours, however long it is, or for the rest of the night, and let's just make it about us. Be with each other, right? Not sitting on the same couch on our phones with each other. I mean, engaged in each other. We're both watching a show. We're both talking about our days. We're both engaging in emotions. We're asking questions that are for each other. And, and we're growing in that aspect. So we have to make time out for that. And I go, all right. And so I presented that to him. I was like, I'm like, that's, Megan has to do that to physically shut me off from my phone, which is a good thing. I go, have, did you do, ever do that anything with your wife? Well, I guess I, and I never did that. So I guess it's partially my fault too. Go, yeah. You had a part. <laughs> right. That's your part. And that's so, so what happens in that moment, you know, we've all been there is the lack of communication that goes on. So it's, it's, I'm sitting here, you're on your phone the whole time. And I'm just welling up inside that you're on your phone the entire time, not paying attention to me. So I start getting ticked off and I shouldn't have in my thought process, I shouldn't have to tell you to pay attention to me because you know, you're my partner. Um, I should never have to say that you should know that you should have spent, have to spend time for me. So I'm going to let this keep welling up until eventually I lash out at you and get ticked off. And you're sitting there wondering why the heck I'm mad all of a sudden. Where'd that truck come from? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And there it is. And there's the wreck and those build up to an ultimate destruction where, um, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Yeah, we were just friends for a long time. I never we saw We were it. young. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's how that truck creeps in there. And instead of having the foresight to see it and to know it's going to try to creep in at some point. And so, all right, we got to battle ourselves. We got to um, not battle ourselves up, but we got, we got to protect ourselves in this, in this walk. So, okay, I have to be intentional about the steps that I take in those moments. So... If I'm feeling that, and that's what we were talking about right before we started the podcast, how feelings are lies. <laughs> they're lies sometimes. Yeah, they're not reality for sure. Right. And uh, if I'm feeling that in that moment, and I'm talking to you like we're partners, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, all right, babe, I think we need to just, we need to turn that off for a little bit. Have this about me and you. It's obvious that I'm feeling that mm-hmm. in that moment. And okay. Give her a minute, give her two minutes, five minutes, whatever. She's fiz- fi- uh, finishing up a piece of business, whatever it might be. It's okay. Give a couple minutes just to finish it up. Say, all right, let's turn it off for the night. Let's turn it off for the next few hours and just be together. And then that has to reciprocate, right? He has The other person has to be, yeah, that's right. But all of a sudden, we just avoided. And we just not ran and got our partner out of the way of the truck. Yeah. And now we're in a good place. Yeah, and if you're the husband... Or being the man, you know, one of the things you need to do is be the tip of the spear as far as guiding your family, whatever that looks like for you in y'all's particular situation, you know, but that is where you would, you would take the reins and, and say, this doesn't work for me. How can we fix this? You know, and, and, and even just like, you can be really sneaky about it. Like, Hey, um, 
I'm going to go to the bathroom and get a snack. Not in the bathroom. We'll do this after each other. The bathroom gonna, and get a snack. I had my, my, <laughs> my cookies under the, ca- under the counter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, when I, when I get back, let's watch a movie together. Like, not on our phones or anything like that. Let's actually watch a movie together. Yeah. And um, my wife and I will say that, but then we'll spend 45 minutes watching trailers on Apple TV, <laughs> and then we're like, you're just ready for bed, you know? But, That's fine. But we've connected. You know, we've, we've, um, we've, we've, we've shared something. We're looking at the same thing, because I'm guilty of that with my daughter. She'll like, hey, come watch a movie with me. And I would, I'd rather pluck nose hairs than watch a lot of the movies that she wants to watch. But that's that's she just wants me next to her. I'm big Disney guy right now. <laughs> well, I'm all about Pixar movies and yeah. things. Like, I love those, but she's like, you know, she it, it, some of hers are just pretty cheesy. They're almost like Hallmark movies like, for kids. Oh, okay. They're, they're pretty pretty rough, right? <laughs> but they make her feel good, and they're not sassy, and they're not inappropriate, and so you know they're good. Yeah. Um, my wife has a, a does the same thing with me as as far as the phone. Like, hey, no phones. Let's. She'll say things, and I always know what's about to happen when she says, hey, would you be willing? And then I think, oh, shit, here we go. Because <laughs> she's about to ask me something that she knows that I don't want to do. Right. Or, and she'll say things like, would you be willing for us to not be on our phones while we're eating? Or not be on our phones while we're watching TV together? Or a movie or whatever? Yeah, baby, sure. And then if I forget, she'll remind me. And she's not a nag about it or anything like that. And so many guys call that being a nag, but it's not. No, it's, it's, there's a big difference. There's right. a, there's a woman that your, your, your wife is your partner. Yeah. She's there to help you, to challenge you, to help you, uh, stay accountable, to remind you to, it, she, she helps steer the ship too. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's involved in all that. Um, one thing I will say is if your wife says these things and you, roll your eyes and throw your phone on the counter. Like, sure, fine. Yeah, let's watch TV together. It's not going to go well. No. <laughs> That's not how you build up that emotional safety with your woman. It's, um, there, you reminded me of one thing. What a, a lot of us, you know, we're so self-absorbed at all times, and this is in all aspects of life, but we forget that um, my eyes are not your eyes. Yeah. Right? You see things differently than I do. So that goes the same for our wives, for our, our partners. And so if I understand that, I know my wife has a set of eyes that I don't have. That means she can see things that I don't see. Mm-hmm. That's how you got to think about it. So like, if, if she th- see things that I don't see, that means I got to take into account her words. So, and that might be about a new person that comes into our life and how she distrusts him right away or distrusts that person's right away for whatever reason. Because I'm I'm the personable guy where I like to go talk to everybody, but she has her radar up all of a sudden, and I have to take that into account because there's a reason that that's happening. And in the same way, you know, she sees the way that I'm acting in moments like that on the couch with your phone, or however it is when you're coming home and delivering a message or whatever the case may be. I've had that time before where right where, you know, she's like, "Why are you snapping at me?" I'm like, "I didn't snap at you." What are you talking about? You snapped at me. Yeah, I've had those conversations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. That's not my intent, and I'm sorry for it. Um, sorry you're I, being so sensitive. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, 
but you know, but at the same time, like it's yeah, you can joke about it, but you have to understand that she has eyes that you don't, right? And vice versa. So you see the guy that's trying to hit on your wife at the bar. Mm-hmm. She doesn't see it necessarily. She's being nice, right? Just a nice guy. Chatty. You see him moving in closer. Okay. She might not see that. In the same respect, she sees other things happening in your life that you need to give uh, weight towards. So when she does say something, right, that she does, like she brings up an opportunity, would you be willing to? You have to honor those words that are coming out and have to listen with an open heart because it's other, otherwise you start putting a, a wedge in the relationship just a tiny little bit. Piece by piece. Yeah. I don't know how we drifted apart. You hear people talk about that. I don't know how it happened. Yeah. We were best friends. We were so in love, whatever it was. I don't know how we got to this point. A man, you know, after he just got caught having an affair, I don't know how it happened. You start letting those things chip away at your armor, chipping away at the integrity, the foundation of your relationship, because you're so driven by self and so driven by ego and just so driven by the pride of I have to be right and not being able to look at, to take that inventory and look at your part. And that just slowly starts pulling bricks out from underneath your house until one day it crumbles. And that's actually really good. Bring a good, um, tie, tie those together, right? Those are two ends of the spectrum right now. So you have the beginning of the problem and you have the end of the problem, right? The, the ultimate choice to cheat or, or to make a giant knife roll through your relationship. And so that's, that's something, and it's, it's not something you can't come back from, but it's something huge. So, okay, you have that moment where I don't know what happened. I don't know why I cheated. You know, it's just something happened one time and it didn't mean anything, whatever. Well, what leads to that is the beginning of that truck at the relationship, like those moments with the phone where you build it up. Now you've exploded and now you're in this big fight. And now that wedge is starting to grow bigger in your relationship to ultimately you take a trip, you take a business trip, you're down at the bar, hotel bar, and you end up making a choice that you shouldn't have. But what happens in that, leading up to that decision, that wasn't just one choice, one time. That wasn't just all of a sudden uh, you decided to cheat on your spouse. That was a, it was a whole bunch of choices that led up to that. Right? That was at home when you decided not to share some sort of communication and how you were feeling with her. That was leading up to that fight that you decided to throw a jab in that was really hurtful towards her, right? And that led up to you storming out of the house or something else happening, but you ended going on a bad note to ultimately being in that bad situation where now you're sitting there justifying your actions. You're like, well, my wife doesn't understand me. She doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't find me attractive. She never wants to sleep with me. Right. Yeah. So now we're justifying a bad choice. And now I don't know where I, how we got here. Well, let's deconstruct that real easy. We just did and connected the dots. It happens that fast, though. That's why you got to have your guard on and your protector mentality. And that protector works at all times. Like, I'm, I am on, on purpose serving my wife and open to her about my communication, how I'm feeling, to protect what's going on to protect any enemies that are trying to enter my house, man. Yeah. I don't want that garbage. So I'm like, I've had, <laughs> I had a talk with that. We were bringing a, someone up who came in our gym a long time ago. I'm like, man, she was hot. First time I met her, I told her I was married. <laughs> she came in. We're all warming up as a group class. And I'm like, 
I'm like, oh my gosh. But uh, I'm like, no, I'm married. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm going to go work out over here with my face <laughs> in the corner. It. Right. Let's put that up first and foremost. Shove that foot, you know, right up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Put your ring up when you're talking to her. Yeah. And it's a proud. And so that's the thing. It was funny is that stuff gets back around. You yeah. know, I mean, like that, that person eventually comes back around and says, um, and you can throw stuff. You can call me a jerk all you want. I don't care. I want to protect me and my wife. Well, you what's going to happen is if you don't and you start trying to like flirt with her, I mean, even if you are and you're married, then you need to seriously take a look at why you think that's okay, um, which also is backtrack. But you can bet that that's the girl that your wife's going to end up being friends with. And she's going to be like, that's your husband? So when I first met him, let me tell you what he said. Hi, I'm Corey. I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And it's probably going to win you some brownie points. Yeah. You know, so that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to take yourself out of that equation. You got to take away anything. I mean, because we're still men. Yeah. I mean, we still find other people attractive. And like I, I, my wife and I, we, we can look at other people and neither one of us gets crazy jealous, you know, because we trust each other. But also we're not lustful about it. And we can sense that with each other. You know, um, my wife has a type. And I have a type. And so, I mean, it's it's like, you know, when that type's in the room, I mean, you can say that she probably finds them attractive, but it doesn't mean that she wants to sleep with them. Right. She doesn't mean that she's waiting to figure out how she can end up in the bathroom with them at the same time. You know, it just means that she's looking at it. And, and like I used to joke with my wife, I was like, yeah, but, you know, those are like just really nice Honda Civics. <laughs> You know, <laughs> right? like I got this really nice Ferrari at home <laughs> and if a Honda drives by, I'm like, man, they really take care of that car. Yeah. That looks really nice and clean. No damage on it. <laughs> Just imagine somebody walk jogging by like, it's a nice Honda. It's a really nice Honda. <laughs> well but, done. <laughs> but we don't, you know, and, and that's also because there's a lot of emotional safety with us. If I ever start looking at her thinking that she's going to cheat or that I'm not good enough, or that I'm not getting what I need, then I need to start looking at how many times I said I, you know, like, mm, there you go. It's me because it all starts with me. Yeah. You know, why do I feel the lack of confidence? Why do I feel insecure? Why do I, and a lot of guys don't want to talk about that stuff because for whatever fear that it, it doesn't make you as manly or it's not as masculine or, or it doesn't make you an alpha. Well, it, it still does. It's just that you are becoming so aware of your surroundings. Like you're always aware of everything that's going on around you. If somebody's, like you said, somebody's walking up on your wife, it's like, well, I was tracking him since the parking lot. Right. You know, I mean, you can smell it on him. Right. And, but that's the Creep. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you need to have that same awareness about your own self. You know, like once things start creeping in, when you're like, why do you feel insecure? Is it because, you know, your business isn't doing as well? Like I know with me, since I own my own business, if the business is not doing as well as I think it should, if I start comparing my insides to other people's outsides or however that may look, and we're going through hard times with cash flow or whatever it is, I mean, you can just pick any number of things that, that affects a small business person. I will start feeling less than I'll start bringing that home and then that'll start getting projected onto my relationship. And so I have to really kind of back up and like, what's really going on here? Because I start to feel these things. 
fortunately, I've surrounded myself with enough people that will say, you know, hey, man, that, and, and I'm open and honest with them. I don't keep it to myself. So a lot of times before I go to my wife, um, I used to go to my wife with it, and that's not her. It's, it's not to go throw that on her. Right. You know, and yeah. throw that mud in the water. But they would say, hey, man, I know you're feeling that, but that's not the reality because of this, this, and this. Don't listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, well, two, two things before you, you, you brought up two big things, but uh, quickest, the quickest way to kill something good is compare it to something else. Yeah. <laughs> That's good advice. Hey, so I'm like, you want, you have something good. The minute you start comparing your wife to another lady, hmm. you're going to start wrecking that in your own head and you'll start some bad cycles to start moving on. But the, the best portion about what, you, you started bringing in immediately is surrounding yourself with the right kind of company. Yeah. Right. And, and that's having, I'm like, if you know, you decided your life, I know I'm going to be this, I'm going to be a husband that a protector, a fierce lover, fighter for my family. You better believe that I'm going to fight to know they're going to know that I love them and I'm going to protect them. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I'm going to let them know that I emotionally like, care about them like crazy that I'll break down. I don't mind breaking down. Over, over my wife and my daughter, yeah, right? Because they're worth it, right? For them to see me do that over them. So they feel that emotion coming into them. So they know they're loved. Like those things are worth it. So, but if I decide I'm going to do that at one point in my life, I need to start surrounding myself with guys who do the same or who can hold me accountable to that. Are we going to have this conversation? And that's what I love is about that. You have that right circle, that right huddle of guys around you that live like that, that don't mind swinging the bat like that, they're going to hold you accountable when you start screwing up. And you to them. And they're not going to do it with kid gloves. They're no. not going to worry about hurting feelings. No. Like, yeah, dude, I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? Well, you see that. You and I go out, have a drink at the bar, wherever else we go, and that girl starts creeping on me, and one starts flirting with me, and I start acting in, in an inappropriate way, I need you to grab my... Like, grab me and pull me back. Right. Like, you know, whatever. Insert yourself in the situation. Like, what are you doing? Say, bro, did you get divorced on the way up here? Right. I didn't know yeah, about it. Seriously, yeah. You, know, you want to act like an idiot? You want to FaceTime you, your wife? Hey, you mind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your wife wants to talk to you. <laughs> so good. Hey, I got Megan on the phone. <laughs> here, me and his wife. That's funny. He's having a hard time when he wants to order. Like, yeah. Yeah, help him out. <laughs> but it's so good because, like, all right, that's the eyes that we need. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Cause I could, same thing. I start justifying things and we all do this. We start justifying things in our own head. So we start making some actions happen and maybe in the wrong direction, but we got our right circle around us, our right brothers around us and say, Whoa, yank you out of the way. And, and all of a sudden I'm thanking you for helping me avoid a bad choice that could have ended in a really bad way. You know, and, and, down the wrong and also on that, a lot of guys like to say, I've got your six, I've got your back. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'm your wingman, whatever, how, whatever you want to use. Mm -hmm. But I, I like, you need to make sure that the people that you're surrounding yourself know exactly what that means. Yeah. To have my back means that we are back to back and nothing is going to sneak up behind me. Yeah. And then I'm doing the same to you. That's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean... Yeah, I'm here with you, bro. It, it means like I'm watching what you can't see. Yeah. And so if you are in a moment, 
if you have made choices, if you, you know, a choice is a choice, whether you don't make it or you do, we're accountable for all those choices, you know, um, whatever has led you to that point, just like you said, uh, you need to have somebody that, that can see with a different set of eyes, because we all have a different perspective. We all have a different, um, lens that we view the world through in each other. They can see this. They're like, Hey man, no, 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 no. And pull you back in. And then if, if you resist that, you're like, no, this is, you know, and start trying to justify it. The friend needs to not cower down to that. Right. Because <laughs> all that is, is you're intensifying it. So they need to fight. It's just like if they're trying to talk you out of not driving and you're drunk. No, you're not driving. No, nah, I'm fine, man. Don't worry about it. You know, my car drives itself. Oh, okay, buddy. Yeah. Oh, we're oh, good. Sh- oh, you've done this a lot. All right, cool. Clearly, you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll work out fine for you. No, that's just when you, I mean, you have to be able to fight for your friends. Yeah. Just like you'd fight for your family. Because like my friends, the guys that I call my brothers, and I don't use that term loosely. You know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of acquaintances and people that I, I, I will do a lot for. But like my core group of of men that I know without a doubt that literally have my back. Um, I'll fight for them. I will fight them for them. Right. You know, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to, to say things to them that makes them not want to be my friend anymore. If it's the truth. And I feel like I'm coming from a place of love. Um, and, and I think that we, uh, we need to make sure that we surround ourselves with men like that. You know what? That's just popped in my head when you said that. Surrounded with a place of love. There's a big lie around what that is in this world right now. With what's going on and the lack of identity is love is is all encompassing, right? Love is not um, me necessarily. It, it's um, accepting everything you do. So, so the, I love it because you're talking about not cowering down to a situation as a friend. And you know, we can mask that as love or, or put a facade on there as love. And it's like, well, I'm like, I love him. That's his choice. So I got to let him do what he wants to do. No, nope. No, no. I love him so much. I don't want him to wreck his life. I'm willing to hit him in the throat. <laughs> that's how much I love him. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, but it's I true. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going to knock you out before you get in the car drunk and start driving off because I want you to be alive for yourself and for your family. I'm like, no, no, sir. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's, that's what's insane is so many people are afraid to get into a situation. And I'm not saying pour into your, a place where you shouldn't be or just insert into, a, a, into a, um, any situation. But, you know, I had a, a buddy came to me. This was wild, man. I, I was sharing the same story with uh, someone else that was close who I know kind of lives a little bit of a fearful life. But it was on my mind that week that it happened, but I had a friend that came to me, um, his 12 year old son who he found a suicide note in his bag hmm. and he called me on this and I had missed a couple calls from him over the weekend. So we got, we hooked up like on a Monday and he let me know this is going on. He was telling me, he's like, don't freak out, but this is what's happening right now. Hmm. And so naturally we opened the floodgates in the conversation and I'm, you know, so I'm asking him like, all right, how do you pour into your son? How are you doing these things? And it was the same. It was similar things, right? This is scared stuff, territories that we haven't walked through before. But uh, but his response, I'm like, all right, how are, you, how are you pouring into your son right now? Who you just found this suicide note? What do you mean? 
What are you, what are you saying to him? How are you loving him? What are you doing with him more that you didn't do before? And he goes, well, he knows that I love him, right? right. I go, okay. We're friends, right? We don't see each other all the time, but we're friends, right? You called me on this. He's like, and you could tell immediately. He's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go, look, I know you love your son. I know you do. He doesn't fully know it right now. So you got to find some way to do it. And that's whatever you got to do. You got to get out on a knee and confess your love for him. And that might be tearful. It might be emotional. It might be anything. But you confess your love for your son and help indoctrinate him into manhood, into your family, and include him in that process. Let me go, because right now he doesn't feel it, and he's not given that manhood, that sense of worth where he has something else to go after. So I'm like, we got to step in. And I'm just imagining myself getting caught up in this moment, right, where I'm like, confess that love for your son, how much he means to you, and then you start talking about like what it means to be a man in your family. right? This is your 12-year-old boy. Not fully a man, but he needs to be walked into that role over the job description right yeah Yeah. i'm like what and i was like something simple i'm like what does it mean to be a man in this house what's something what's a big value we need to hold on to and and i imagine at that age it might be something super simple be nice to people it's a good one right i'm like yeah perfect and i go you reinforce that say okay cool what's something we can do right now or you come back the next day to reinforce it too and say i was thinking about what you were saying about being nice to people what do you think about doing something nice for mom or for one of your friends or something service, right? What do you think about that? And all of a sudden you start reinforcing and start pumping up that manhood and that choice that he made and that idea that he brought to the table, you start indoctrinating him into a place of what, what that man or what that identity is and what he values as it or what, what he thinks it should be too, right? But you're helping mold that in a moment. And it was funny because I shared that story, and, and they're still, they're still working. He's working on it, right? And this is, this is good stuff that we need to be talking about with each other. But I shared that story to someone else who lives a, a, a way more fearful life. And I remember this lady, she, she came at me, like attacked me. She's like, what are you talking about? She goes, you have no right telling somebody how to love their children. I'm like, well, hold, first off, we're friends. <laughs> you know, and he came to me. So this is open conversation. And, she, and I remember her response was like, when that kid offs himself, you're gonna, they're going to try to come at you and sue you and hold you responsible. So I go, I go, let it happen. That's living a life of fear. I'm not going to do that. Because I for sure am going to go down fighting for a brother of mine, and I want him to do the same for me if that ever happens. And what's really interesting, not to do, you could look at that woman and say, man, that bitch was crazy. You know, like her or whatever, you know, and really let it get some headspace and let her live rent free in your head and really build a resentment. Or you could look at that moment and think, my God, there's something that hurt that woman. She is coming from a place of pain and hurt. And there's something that struck a nerve right there. And you can look at that and be in that moment empathetic, you know, to that person and, 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 an expression I've heard is love them where they're at. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not loving them like I love my wife and my child or my friends, but loving them as I'd love an, my neighbor, fellow human beings. You know, just like, I'm sorry that you're hurt. It's true. And it's, and it's hard sometimes. Oh, God damn it. I was, um, you know, obviously I was coming back from that story 
but you know, now you make me think of like, shoot, I should have been more empathetic. Oh <laughs> 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 my God. But, uh, but it is true. I mean, it's people are hurting in different places and they have, they've been cut down in different levels of the life or by somebody else that's affected that situation. So much so where they just want to cut themselves out. Like, that's fine. You hand that out. And, and I, I, I've gotten to a place where just so many things have hit me in different ways and things that happen in other people's lives and brothers and whatever that I've just, I'm like, I'm not doing, I th- and it might be from the locker room mentality yeah. that I've been raised in is, you know, I know you're going down, but I'm not letting you go. You know, I'm going to make sure you stay up with me. And that was everything that was preached into me and uh, as a football team growing up was what were the things that you saw? What were the bad teams? What would they do in, in times of, uh, in face of adversity? They would fight. They would bicker. They would divide. Morale. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, that makes me wonder, like when you were in Miami right before you had your in- injury, did you have buddies coming up to you like, hey, man? I didn't. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it was tough. I mean, we had, I had good friends in Miami. I did. Right. But uh, I think you can kind of tell in the culture of some teams how uh, some guys will stop you in those moments. Okay. Um, I remember when I was with the Cowboys, Greg Ellis was one of those guys. Marco Rivera was one of those guys. Mark Colombo were one of those guys. Some guys that were close. Those were your buddies. To me, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, it might be something as stupid and simple. I remember... Uh, Terrell Owens, who's he's you know he's a buddy of mine. We don't talk a whole lot, but um, but always left good marks on each other. He he came in to breakfast and all the egg whites were gone. And he's like, you know him him. He's a chiseled body, like he watches what he eats like a hawk. And there was no egg whites left, and so he kind of got all hiffy about it. Mm-hmm. And Greg Ellis was right there. <laughs> and Greg, first thing Greg was like, I know you were not raised on egg whites. Your mama did not serve you that growing up. Grab some dang eggs. <laughs> Grab the yellow eggs. <laughs> and so so he did, but it was just kind of funny because, I mean, something as small and stupid as that, I'm like, stop. Check in for a minute, bro. Yeah. and uh, But at other times, when I would get an attitude, uh, you know, cocky Corey would start coming out, as Columbo would always tell about I me. Mean, Mark Columbo is one of my closest friends. And uh, and he would, he would stop. He was like, dude, you got to check yourself right now. You're going to get yourself into a bad place. Reel it in. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want to, but I'm like, all right, I would, you know, because he's trying to watch out for me too. And he had those eyes that I didn't have, even though I didn't want to see it at the time. So I had those brothers, but in Miami, it was tough because I didn't have quite as uh, a deeper relationships as I had in Dallas because mm-hmm. I, was, I was here for a lot longer. Yeah. So I was there. I got in, I got to Dallas in uh, March of 2010 when uh, right after I got cut from my or cut from Dallas and I had a big price tag on my head there and then went to Miami a week later trying to get into the program it was good stuff but I think I was kind of just so headstrong or trying to control my own world that I I disregarded a lot on the outside. So right now I don't remember there was probably guys that were trying to pull me in. But you couldn't hear it. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's a tough place to be too, where you go so deep into the hole 
where you don't hear those voices around you. But give me the guy who's willing to hit me across the face. Right. You know? <laughs> my wife will say stuff like that. She's like, they're not going to be able to hear you right now. Like, oh, they'll hear me. <laughs> We're not going to be friends afterwards, right. but they're going to hear something. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to remember. At some point, they'll look back and be like, oh. And I've, you know, what's interesting is I've, I've also, uh, I've been in the position to where um, my ego's gotten so big that I think I'm the one to tell people everything that they need. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. a lot of times I don't know shit. I don't know what you need to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm not you. Right. So staying right-sized in all those situations is <clears throat> is pretty important. Like in that, and all of that stuff is maintenance to make sure that we are constantly showing up constantly at the, at the best of our abilities, you know, like, um, uh, doing everything we can do to be the best men, best husbands, fathers, friends, providers, leaders that we can be. So you, you can never sit on your laurels. Don't get comfortable. Don't get complacent. Always work. Always try to get better and better and better. Every once in a while, I get to sit down with someone and it just seems like the time just passes by way too fast. You look up and you're like, there's no way that we just spent two hours shooting the shit. And that's exactly what happened when I sat down with my friend, Corey Proctor. He's got valuable insight into life, marriage and success and leadership and things that he learned on and off the field. And, and, you know, um, just the way that he views life and being a man and being a family man and being the tip of the spear and, and just having that warrior fighter protector mentality that so many of us try to have. Um, you know, we spent, I think two hours talking, which is why we had to split it into two parts. So you just listen to part one. And if you enjoyed that, you're really going to enjoy part two, which is going to be available for download on iTunes next Sunday Please subscribe, leave us a review so that we can be found easier by people. And um, yeah, man, I'll see you next week. Thanks.